Hey everyone, welcome to the Dice Tray Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, founder of Hexadime Gaming, which is H-E-X-A-D-I-G-M Gaming. You can find us on Facebook and all that jazz and always here on this wonderful podcast. So for those of you that uh, are haven't heard from us from a while, I agree it's been a while, COVID-19, all this jazz and crazy life and things like that, homeschooling, this stuff has kept me busy and and really hard to be able to get on here and produce podcast material and content for you guys. So this year coming up, we're trying to do some things, shake it up, and it's more like stay tuned. So the first thing I really want to talk about is the upcoming year for gaming. Now, a lot of early events have been canceled that I'm aware of. The big one for me was Adepticon. I'm, I love Warhammer 40k. It's by far one of my favorite games to play. And the fact that Adepticon was canceled, that tells me that there's still some issues going on. So we should expect some of our events to either transition to virtual this year for the first half or so and then maybe by the fall time frame we should be seeing a lot of our other events like hopefully dragon con can happen hopefully our nova opens can happen you know even gen con can happen this year so it's a large plethora of things now some news we all keep hearing about games and things like that Major news for 40k right now in Games Workshop was last weekend they revealed some new things for the Sisters of Battle, a new power armor unit, and also we have this uh, Palantine unit, which is a lieutenant version for them for a Space Marine equivalent, so a lot of good stuff coming out for them, a lot of new uh, stuff coming in the works uh, pretty soon here. We just had the Death Guard Codex released and their combat patrol box, so that's kind of like their starter set that they're running with right now where you get the Codex and some new models with it and then so these are things that are really exciting uh, to see also some of the new uh, rumor engine images that we saw the other day on uh, the warhammer community site looks like tyranids are getting teased and then we do know confirmed in the coming month of february that the new uriel ventress model the fourth company captain for ultramarines is coming up so we've got that coming down the pipeline. So a lot of good stuff. Plus the Dark Angels have just been uh, teased and previewed and they look scary awesome. So if you're a Dark Angels player, tis the time to rejoice. So, and, you know, just a lot of good things at 40K and Games Workshop. So head on over to the Warhammer community site to check all that stuff out. On the board game side of things, uh, one of the things I really wanted to stress on this side of things now is the fact that uh, one of the things I really want to talk about with this is bringing back your family game nights. Now, we're all stuck at home, and I know a lot of us have been kind of having to improvise and things like that, and a lot of us gamers out there, well, we're pretty well stacked with games and things like that, but one of the things that I think it's really important for those of you that are kind of on the tail end of ideas right now is Break out the board games, folks. Now, the other thing that's really important to understand, too, is that right now with a lot of our friendly local gaming stores kind of going out of commission, we've got to start relying on the big box stores to kind of help us out. And Amazon 
And the hard part is, is that this is uh, going to be another point that we're going to touch on here in a little bit too about our friendly local gaming stores and uh, things like that is, is that a lot of board games now have kids additions. So uh, we just recently here at my house, we got, you know, Clue uh, for kids, the game of life for kids and a new edition of Candyland. So, you know, these are games that, again, are tailored to younger kids. And I think that's something that a lot of parents, especially my age bracket of parents right now, uh, I really think really need to get into because a lot of them rely on the tablets and the streaming services and things like that and video games to keep their kids entertained. But if you pull that back, take that back in and things like that, you're gonna create a better family dynamic, in my opinion, by breaking out the board games. And I'm a very large proponent of a family game night, okay? And the reason why I say that is because it's a great way for families to put down our phones, to put down everything, and just sit down and talk with each other, person-to-person, face-to-face, and really and get your kids engaged in something that's not on a screen. Because right now, let's face it, our whole lives, if you really break down how much time you spend on your phone, your tablets, the computer, your, you know, your PlayStation and Xboxes and things like that, and, you know, your Roku's and your smart TVs, we are constantly bombarded with, you know, easy entertainment that, in my opinion, I mean, it's good to have some entertainment, don't get me wrong, you know, it's a good way to vent your frustrations and things like that and chill out and stuff like that, but I'd say the hard part for a lot of us is, is that, it's easy. And the thing is, is that with the pandemic and things like that, it's made it harder for us to kind of interact with ourselves with, you know, with each other away from the screens. And I think this is something that you really need to focus on as a family. And it's just a great way to kind of let everybody just have fun. That's not provided by a screen. You know, some games got to use a little bit of creative thinking and, uh, resource management and things like that, and, you know, worker placement, uh, other things, uh, deductive reasoning, uh, you know, and mathematics and things like that. That is actually a fun way to teach that, you know, color identification. Um, a lot of the other games like that with count work on counting. And these are, you could even get like ants in the pants, hungry, hungry hippos, which has basically just eat as many marbles, but you got to count up the marbles at the end. Uh, Clue Jr., which is deductive reasoning, you know, looking at, um, you know, how to figure out who did it, where, and, uh, you know, who, what, where, when, and why, and how, you know, learning to answer these questions. These are valuable skills that, in my opinion, yes, you could teach them from a screen, but the other thing is, is it gets parents involved. And I think that's been a big issue lately with a lot of parents using the screens, the TVs, the YouTubes and all that is just, it's requiring kids to be parents, to be hands off and let the screen do all their parenting, which I think is a problem. And it's a great way for me. It's fun and it's easy and it's entertaining. And it takes, you could do it once a week, 45 minutes. If that 20 minutes for some of these kids games, if you've already know the game, you know, and it's also something new for everybody to learn and, you know, practice counting and things like that. It's just, it's fun. And I, and to me, it's a great family bonding experience. And I am a giant, giant, giant proponent of this. 
So for those of you out there that listen to this podcast and things like that, please, for the love of all things, get out there and bust out the board games. And if you have kids and things like that, it is a great way to just have fun and interact with your kids in a positive way. And you can, it doesn't have to, and it can be something that breaks up the week a little bit more. It gives everybody something to look forward to. I mean, there's titles out there like Ticket to Ride has a kid's version. Settlers of Catan has a kid's version. I mean, all, all the Hasbro games out there that are kids version and things like that. I mean, there's, you know, I, I could say Risk, I just saw have one. Clue, The Game of Life, Monopoly, Sorry, Trouble has different variants of you know, princess games and things like that. Uh, you know, even even classic games like Uno that would work great with kids. Uh, another good one for kids that are older, Racco, where you have to organize your cards numerically. So it's a great way to help kids with counting and learning things in order and how to do that. I mean, come on, guys. The, the, the possibilities are limitless. So and, and like I said, this is a great way to get your kids involved in other things. And then you could start pushing them into other games. Like once they get a little bit bigger, you can work on games like the Sheriff of Nottingham, Uno. Uh, and then you could even start pushing them into other games such as Tiny Epic Galaxies, like our micro games, uh, Zombie Dice. And then you could even get into things uh, like miniature games, uh, like the new Aliens game, Another Glorious Day in the Core, uh, uh, Imperial Assault. You could even go as far as getting them into other games like Dungeons and Dragons, Fate, Pathfinder. Um, even going as to, they even have a kids version of Dungeons and Dragons now. And then you could even go into other games like Warhammer 40k, Kill Team, uh, Age of, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, you know, just the, and, and and those possibilities are limitless just because you started here with the kids games and just, it's another way for, like I said, it engages kids in a creative way that does not require a screen. So the next thing we're going to talk about is where I think we all need to understand something is our friendly local gaming source. Are they disappearing? And two, how can we really help them out during this time of COVID? And three, some hard lessons that I've heard from a lot of gaming stores right now through this pandemic that I think, one, they should have really adapted and a lot of them didn't. And so now we're at the point where, hey, it's uh, make or break time for them. So, all right, guys. So when we come back, we will definitely talk about this and see what we can do to help. All right. Well, as always, this is Chris and you are listening to the Dice Tray Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dice Tray Podcast. Now, this next part we're going to be talking about here is something near and dear to my heart, and that's really is our friendly local gaming stores. Now, I will say the pandemic has not been kind to them, and I think the other thing we need to talk about too that's really important is how well do we really support our local gaming stores but also how local gaming stores really need to, uh, new stores, I should say, that are going to be coming out soon, post-pandemic. What lessons did we learn? And two, how 
can we survive the next time something like this happens? I mean, let's be real. COVID-19 is not going anywhere. With the variants and all the changes and the mutations of the virus, they're predicting that this is going to be around for a very long time. And the other thing that is important is to understand that our friendly local gaming stores need to adapt to the times ahead. So the first thing I really want to talk about here is understanding that one, how do we really support our local gaming stores? And I think it's important to understand that people have a varied way on how they support a store. All right. Now, to me, there's only one way to really support that store. And that is buying your games and your supplies and everything from that store. Okay. And I've heard people say, well, I support a store and I, and I've asked them, how do you support the store? Well, I post on their Facebook page. I share stuff that they do that, but I said, okay, that's great. So you support them in social media, but how do you really support the store? And I think the hard part that we all need to understand is that supporting a store in that sense is good, but if you only spend your money at the store for buying a bag of chips and maybe a monster, you're not supporting that store enough to keep it around. And I think that's something we all really need to understand is that if you live in an area where you have a game store that's really close by that you are fanatically loyal to, but you don't spend your money there, you're not supporting the store. And I think that is a very big distinction that a lot of us need to understand. Social media support is good. A community is good for the store. But if people within that community don't spend their money at the store, how is the store going to be open? See, and that's where I think the biggest misnomer about support for a store Exists Because here's the thing. I could go online to Amazon, buy stuff from them, play at that store, but I only use their tables and I buy the snacks from the store. I'm not really contributing money to the store to keep the store around. And I think that's the biggest problem that a lot of people don't understand about your friendly local gaming stores. Now, there is some times when money's tight and we have to make decisions whether to... Well, I found this on eBay for a lot cheaper than, you know, at the store where I have to pay full price. Those kind of instances, I say that's okay. But if, you know, you got your tax return and you're like, oh man, I'm just going to go blow all this on board games, 40K, D&D, you know, fake core, whatever, you know, whatever game you're going to go buy. Or, you know, hey, there's a new copy of uh, Dead of Winter that I want to grab that has some new artwork or you know, some munchkin stuff or, you know, anything from level 99, like all of, you know, all of their games that they have out too, you know, that that's great. But if you say, well, I'm going to buy all this stuff on Amazon because it's cheaper and I get it in two days where I could say, well, I could go to the store now, spend the money and have the product in hand. And the hard part is, is I really do think that in the map guidelines for selling games for stores, they do give you 
and, and I think this is the really overlooked thing with a lot of stores is that they give you guidelines for sales and things like that. One, because they want to keep the stores around to buy the product. But two, when I when a store buys a product from uh, their distributor, okay, a lot of people don't understand when they uh, don't understand is that the store has already spent the money at a discount to buy the game, but the publisher has to set a price in which the store has to sell the game at. So frankly, stores are recouping their losses to purchase new product to bring into the store to therefore have to sell. So that way, you know, you can, you know, they have to pay full price so they can recoup the store's loss. So it's a vicious cycle of, you know, purchasing and sales and I don't think a lot of people understand that there are guidelines that the stores have to follow, particularly independent retailers, about what brands of games they sell, like what, from what publishers. The publisher sets the price on the game itself per unit and then the rules around how they can sell it. So like if they have a sale on it or whatever, it, it can only go for so long, then you know, then it goes back to full price. Now, the one thing you guys have to realize is that, is that, yeah, you could be a little bit competitive and shop around, but that's where people don't understand that they're hurting the store. And I, like I said, this is a, a an issue that I find with a lot of people that say, well, I support this store. And I was like, how do you support this store? Well, and if they tell, and like I said, and that's the common response I hear is, well, you know. I support, I'm part of their Facebook groups and things like that. And I said, okay, so where do you buy all your stuff from? Number one answer that I hear from a lot of people is Amazon. Yeah, that's true. Amazon. They buy it online. And it's because, well, sometimes they may not have what I want, but also, you know, there's deals and things like that. And I say, well, and I get that. I get that. You, I was like, but here's the problem. Your satisfaction, your fulfillment of your product takes longer to get here than a point of sale. There, and I said, you're will. And I said, and the reason why a lot of people are willing to do that is because one, sometimes you could find it cheaper on Amazon. And two, the hard part is, is if you're only at the store like once or twice a month, because it's a, 20 miles away or you know it's some distance that makes sense but people who actually live near the store that I've heard them say that it it just it baffles my mind that you say this is a great place but I think one you know a lot of a lot of these game stores rely on foot traffic and the length of stay is very important in a game store because when people are there and they're like I'm playing a game. Oh heck, you know, and this go and I said and I and this goes for like magic players. It's like, well, I've got 20 bucks and I just lost, but I need some cards for my deck. And I've been here playing against people and you know the five o'clock crew's coming in, so bam, I'm gonna spend that $20 and buy four more packs of cards or five more packs of cards. So that's the important thing is length of stay to keep people in there to spend their money. Now, science aside. Sales, junk aside, a lot of us have lost our friendly local gaming stores. It's just true because we're not essential. We were never deemed essential to stay in operation. And again, 
with the pandemic, it requires people to be in our store to spend money. And I think the hardest lesson that a lot of our friendly local game stores had to learn was, is that, you know, you still got bills to pay. You still have things, you know, you still owe money on and you need people to spend money, but you couldn't stay open to run your store. And I think a lot of these smaller, small time operations, you know, that's what they solely relied on was foot traffic. And I think this is the problem with a lot of friendly local gaming stores is people don't understand is about 70 to almost 90% of sales rely on foot traffic in the store to happen because people are in there making point of sale purchases. And the hard part is, is with no one in the store, no one's spending money. What's the first thing they think of when, well, I'm at home. I can't order my store because my friendly local gaming store is closed due to the pandemic. I'm going to go to Amazon. So that's the hard part. But what I find interesting is, is that a lot of stores had this epiphany after they were shut down to all of a sudden start offering, well, when we start opening, when we can open up again, curbside pickup. My thing is, is why weren't a lot of you having an Amazon storefront to where you could ship your products to and still make money that way? And a lot of people I heard is like, well, it's kind of complicated. I was like, Amazon will give you guys that kind of technology and the and the information you need to set up an affiliate link to have a storefront there or be able to sell products through them and people could find you that way. Or here's my other thing. Why is it that a lot of people did not set up a web store that they could use to do shipping fulfillment through the postal service. You know, flat rate shipping. If it fits, it ships. And I understand most people don't want to wait and get it. But the other thing is, is my thing is, is that you could have done uh, curbside pickup. You know, a lot of restaurants were doing takeout. So my thing is, is that when they shut the stores down and you couldn't, and a lot of stores didn't do that, I think that's what's funny is, is that a lot of stores learn a very hard lesson about that. And we unfortunately lost a lot of stores because, again, our, we are non-essential. And since the imp- economic impact has happened, and a lot of the economic impact has happened from COVID and things like that, right now, you know, they are hurting bad. You know, a lot of mom and pop stores have closed. A lot of these businesses have closed. So... I think we as gamers and we as the community need to step up our game to help out our friendly local gaming stores. And like I said, yes, Amazon gives us a degree of convenience for our gaming products. But what happens when the store you want to play at disappears? See what I mean? People, and I think this is a hard question we've got to ask ourselves do we want to trade in a degree of convenience for the loss of our friendly local gaming store where we can go play our games because let's be real here a lot of people i know that like to play 40k and stuff like that they've had to use tabletop simulator but the problem is is people can't go and play 40k because again it creates an exposure situation 
Now, my other thing is, is that if, I was like, you could create your own little uh, routine of a two-week quarantine, whatever you want to do. But the hard part is, is the availability of getting a COVID test is kind of stringent. And a lot of us, you know, that aren't working from home that have to still go to work are still exposing ourselves to the possibility of getting infe- infected. Now, and if you're asymptomatic, again, one of the rules that I would say for people that want to try and get together and play games in their homes is wear a mask. Say if you've completed two weeks of quarantining and you're not symptomatic and you work from home, that's fine. You could say, all right, we could go play. So it all depends on you guys. And it really depends on the com- how strong the community is tied to their game store. And this is something that I think a lot of gaming communities, local game store communities need to ask themselves is, do I want to keep my store around? But the other question is, is was my store able to adapt to the times to stay afloat? So this is something that we all have to think about. And again, when they were shut down, it's like, okay, can the store fulfill an order if I give it to them? And I think that's something a lot of, that's the biggest lesson that a lot of these stores need to do is create a way to still provide at least their products to people and still fun and still create ways to like have people be able to play their games and things like that, like be able to play like their Friday night magic and things like that. So it's a way to do it. And like I said, and the hard part is, is games like Magic the Gathering, you got to have a person right in front of you to play. 40K, you got to have someone across the table to play. So that's the hard part. And I think in a way, Zoom kind of helps, but it still doesn't help at the same time because people are going to cheat and all this jazz. But I still think there needs to be... Th- th- this will create the need for innovation and also create necessity for people to adapt to the times ahead and I think that's where people with the right business sense will adapt to the times ahead just in case you know hey another strain of coronavirus comes in shuts everything down and boom we are back to where we were again but at least hopefully by the summertime we can return to a sense of normalcy with the vaccine and herd immunity and all this jazz so let's keep our fingers crossed all right guys you know and you know if you ever have questions or, you know, share your comments or anything, head on over to my Facebook page for Hexadime Gaming. Again, that's H-E-X-A-D-I-G-M Gaming. I'll post this there to our Facebook page so you can find it there and also available through all the other outlets that this is available on. Check us out there. And as always, game on, my friends, and support your local gaming stores. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. And as always, this is Chris. Thanks for listening to the Dice Tray Podcast.